Every day we pass by people who have stories that need to be heard because we need to be shaped by them. This is one of those stories. Officer Kyle Liggett, I have been looking forward to this day. Could I see your license and registration, please? Don't have it on me, sir. You're going to have to run me to find out any information. (laughs) I'm not going to run anywhere. (laughs) Um, I've always appreciated law enforcement. I've got families in law enforcement. And uh, so I thought this would be a great voice to add to the stories around us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a long line of influences that we've seen on TV and law enforcement. I mean, anywhere from Starsky and Hutch to, mm-hmm. to Sonny Crockett and Rico Tubbs. You've got TJ Hooker, Columbo. Um, is it Reno 911? Reno 911. Maybe, maybe that's not the same. That's 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 the one we've watched a lot. You know, yeah. That's, in the police world. Yeah, do, we like that one. Do you actually watch that? Oh, yeah. What What is it about that that you would actually? It's just, it's absolutely over the top ridiculous. Yes. And it's, yes. yeah. And, and you see over the top ridiculous stuff. Oh yeah, quite a bit, right? Yeah, that's my that's my life. Well, in fact, you you work with the Chandler Police Department, and how many years have you been with Chandler? Uh, five years. Five years. Well, back during COVID, mm-hmm. a buddy of mine who I play cards with sometimes uh, was telling a story. He he actually has a Ford Raptor, okay. Shelby edition, and it's during COVID, so it was whenever we didn't have a ton of traffic mm-hmm. on the streets, right? And he was going down Chandler Boulevard, where it intersects with Arizona, right where those railroad tracks are. Yep. And he thought, hey, I think I could jump this. And so he guns it, and he does a full-on Dukes of Hazard. Oh, yeah. I mean. Does he have the, did he have the horn? I, I, don't, I don't know if he did, but it would <laughs> have been totally appropriate. But he caught total air, landed not where it came down, but where it was flat. Mm-hmm. Right? He really... Spanned some distance. And he said parked immediately to the side of him was a police officer when he landed, which. Right by the Boys and Girls Club? Yep. Appropriately lit him up and uh, pulled him over. And there's a longer story to that. But my question to you is, if you were to witness something like that, are you thinking, what an idiot? I can't believe this guy. Or is there a part of you that says. Impressive. That's impressive. (laughs) That's at two, at two in the morning. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, you'll you'll get a lot of that where it, usually it's we'll, we'll come to a wreck or something and we'll see the aftermath and damage or this that and everybody's okay and we'll see what happened to the car and we're just like that guy was moving like <laughs> oh my god how do they do that yeah no we uh yeah I mean you're you're a person you've I I grew up watching those shows too so yeah. when you see the action scenes and all of that and then you see it happen in front of you there's a part of you that's like that is well, impressive yes. It's also kind of stupid, but also but impressive. impressive. <laughs> yes. Well, you just said that you're a person. Mm-hmm. So I was just thinking today, as you are a person, <laughs> as a police officer. Just rude. I'm just curious, out of all of these different type of pastries right here, which one would you say is the one that you find most delectable? Well, the one that I find most delectable would have been Bosa because it's from <sighs> Chandler. And it's the way to go. Oh, now, man. hold on. I didn't say put them on. <sighs> of these? Yes. Probably the blueberry. All right. Well, I still want to say to Kim and Desiree at Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> on, oh, no. on the corner of Warner and in Arizona. Thank you. Great, great establishment. Donuts, which, which, Very good establishment. Yes. Which, have been there. Which they, they have... Uh, 
provided for you yes. a, a, a cap if you, if I'll you never, want it. I will never turn down a hat. Yes. There so we go. there you go. That's, that's just from some local phenomenal. establishment that says thank you for your service. Well, so, they're great. And I love their donuts. Yeah, I just I'm I'm Bosa you, you, Bosa loyal. Okay. It's hard. It's hard not you to. You know what? That's it's that's, one of the few places good. open at like three in the morning when I worked Graves. It was one of the few places to go get food. So you so we would Bosa. we would go there. So Bosa's it's just that soft spot in my heart. That's well, all it is. Well, next time when I have an officer on, I'll go to Bosa. <laughs> there you can see if they won't throw out some swag <laughs> towards it as well. So do you use the tin code in your house? Like with your wife, I'm ten ninety nine. No. She would, right. she would slap me for that. No, yeah, okay. there's no way. <laughs> she has learned certain calls or like certain things like it, like uh 918 or something like that. Yeah. There, there's certain things that I'll say that she's like, oh, I, she knows what that knows means now because she's heard the stories a lot. I'm a talker. I'm a storyteller. Yep. That's how I've always been. My family's that way. Um, so if I was to think of all the professions <laughs> that I would want to be in right now in this state of the world, I think actually law enforcement recruiter would be one that would be a little bit harder. You guys have, for a lot of different reasons, Mm -hmm. have had a hard way to go in the last little while. Yeah. And so I think today, uh, what I want to talk about is first you as a person, then you as a believer, then you as a person who lives and works within the universe of law enforcement. Yeah. When you were a kid, did you think as a 10-year-old, I want to be in law enforcement? Or kind of what was your journey to getting to this point in your life? Um, <clears throat> my brother was very much that way. My brother's also in law enforcement. And so he was very much in the in the idea of wanting to be. For us, it was football first. My dad coached college football. Football was, for lack of a better term, gospel. Like, it was huge in our house. It was very, very big. Um, when I was about 10 bringing up that age is when my dad became a police officer. So he became a police officer at about 42 years old. Second career kind of thing. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So he had done promotions. He'd been a barber at one point. He was in the Vietnam War. He, I mean, he's, you want to have an interesting person on a podcast. He'd be one. A little bit more foul mouth might be a little (laughs) bit hard to do that. But um, I, football was kind of our main thing. The only problem was me and my brother graduated high school at about 6'3", 160 pounds. Yeah. Kind of lack that size thing that uh, they would like. So I saw my dad become a police officer. Um, I got to go through the same police academy that he went through. He worked at Chandler. He just retired in 2017. And so it was always in the back of my mind. Um, but it wasn't everything I did was going towards that. Mm-hmm. It was always like, eh, maybe I'll do law enforcement. It was more of my journey. And then um, I had done some other stuff prior to that. Um, at 29 is when I entered into law enforcement. Um, I went to college, went to U of A, um, took me about seven years. Um, a lot of people go to school for seven years mm-hmm. called doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, it took a while for me, for me to get through that. Um, I did some ministry stuff, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually got to a point where it just felt like that's kind of where God was leading me or where doors were opening to at the very least. Mm-hmm. So you actually, yeah, as we have that gnat flying right. around here, um, so you actually had a ministry background mm-hmm. going into law enforcement. Yeah. So, you know, one of the phrases that we speak of all around here all the time is all of life is all for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So going from ministry into law enforcement, did you see that as two different things or did you see that as a continuation in some ways? How did you kind of wrestle around with that? I've always felt like wherever I'm at is where I'm able to, I want to talk to Jesus, right? So I've always had that mindset. I did a leadership institute or residency, um, with a church here in the Valley. And, um, 
I'd, I'd made a comment to, to one of the people of, well, because I'm not in ministry anymore. And they're like, I'm sorry, but you're still in ministry. It just looks different. And so I've had that attitude the entire time of my first, the first part of me, my identity has been and will always be that I'm a follower of Christ. That's, that's what matters most. So when I go to work, that doesn't go away. I want to keep that first. So I've always kind of kept in my mind that these aren't two separate things and that I'm in ministry and it looks very, very different, um, very different, um, but it's still ministry. Have you felt like your job has lived up to the expectations that you had for it? And you, and obviously you have a brother that's yeah. in law enforcement. You've had a father that has just retired from it. You understand mm-hmm. the job before you got into it, but as you are in it, has it lived up to the expectations you've had for it? Yeah. Um, it's much different. It's one of those things you, you can explain it to somebody as much as you want until you do it. It's hard to fully Mm -hmm. understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had conversations before. I know that you love stuff with like wars and, and all that type of stuff, right? The the history, the historical side of it, all of that. Right. Um, and, and you can read those books and you can study it and you can find all that type of stuff. But to somebody that was there and lived it, you'll never, for sure. right? And so that's why for me, um, yes, so some of the expectations, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't, I didn't expect. And it took some time to figure that out. Um, let's put it this way. It's not Crockett and Tubbs. It's not like that every day, right? <laughs> Thank goodness. They don't show them like, we got the bad guy. Typing, 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 turning stuff in. Like all of that, that is a part of the job that yep. is very important. So what do you wish that people understood about the life of, a, of an officer? I mean, we started out this whole thing with, I'm a person, right? Um, we have families. We have kids. Um, we run the gamut of um, straight, gay, trans. I mean, you name everything, like everything that could be represented is represented within that law enforcement, uh, in law enforcement, um, atheist, agnostic, Christian, LDS, Muslim, you name everything is covered. And we have hobbies, we have stuff. And when we go home at night, we don't, most of us hopefully don't live this when we get home. We just want to be regular people. Um, what I wish some people would understand, and once again, I comprehend that they can't, is when I show up and I talk to somebody that day, they've called us or it's a stop or something like that, right? That's their only police interaction for that day. So they're judging everything based upon their experience mm-hmm. that day. What they don't understand is all the other experiences I've had throughout that day And yes, I might be coming to just talk to you about a barking dog, but you don't know the call that I was on before Mm -hmm. and the trauma or stress or anxiety that I might be dealing with and going through. Um, And I haven't had a chance to decompress from that. Now I've got to do something else. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of those things that I wish people could comprehend it. And at the same time, I'm happy a lot of people don't have to comprehend it because it's not a job for everybody and it can be really, really tough. Last fall. Mm -hmm. I was traveling down Warner and Gilbert, mm-hmm. and I forgot that on Tuesday nights, there was a series of protests that had been going mm-hmm. on long-term, and it was nice weather. I had both of my windows down, and I pulled up to that intersection, 
and there is a group of people on one side who are yelling profanities to the group of people on the other side who are yelling profanities Mm -hmm. to one. Um, Obviously, law enforcement was part of the topic of what they were volleying back and forth. You know, Mm -hmm. F you, boys in blue, you know, um, kind of stuff. From a human side, how do you deal with the fact that there are people who automatically already, for whatever reasons, hate you? I mean, acutely hate what you represent. Maybe not you, but yeah, they, they hate what you and represent. And that's, that's it. They don't hate me. They hate my uniform. They hate my badge. And I understand that. And I have to, you have to be able to separate that. Now, it's hard. It gets personal at times. Um, when you do something that you care about, that you believe in, um, and most police do, most officers do, because we do want to make an impact. You know, this whole narrative of the kid that was bullied that just wants to go bully people so he becomes a cop, I, I don't know one. I don't. Um, and so what I try to do is understand that they don't hate Kyle. They hate my uniform. They hate my badge. And so you try to not take it personal. It's hard at times, but, um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. When an officer, for whatever reasons, somewhere else in the country does something horrible, Mm -hmm. criminal, and it's being played out in the media, Mm Mm-hmm with whatever level of correct or incorrect information may or may not be there. How does that impact you at a local level in Chandler when someone in Fresno or someone in New York mm-hmm. City or my, when, they, when something else happens, how does that impact you? Yeah. Um, first off, I'm lucky to work in the city that I work in. Um, we have very strong support, whether it's from city council down to the normal people that we deal with every day. Um, what I think a lot of people don't get about officers is when we watch those videos, a lot of times we're more upset than other people because of the fact that now I've, I'm that guy, that guy represents me now all of a sudden. And it's, I'm not him. I wouldn't do that. Um, and so it gets frustrating. We also come from the background of we're constantly in our culture being told to not Monday morning quarterback Mm. right now. There's differences because there are times when it's flat out, look, there's no excuse. There's no reason that what happened or what was seen should have happened. Um, but we really do come from a, well, what's the entire story? What, what's going on and trying to understand that? Um, and I think that's, that's really trained and, and written into us. Um, but it's tough. I mean, I've gotten, I mean, F12 has been yelled at me so many times over the last, last year. F12? Yeah, so the derogatory F word, yeah, right? I got 12. that part. It's basically yeah, it's it's basically towards police. It's a okay. derogatory term that it's towards us. Um, same thing with you know F the police that type of stuff, right? So the amount that I've heard that in the last year, in comparison to beginning, is it, gone up tons. It for the lack of a better word, it sucks, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm I'm not that guy, and now because he did something, I I did it, you know. And that's, it's also frustrating when the policies and procedures of a department in another state under a different post-certification or whatever certification under different policies 
Now that has to represent my department, mm-hmm. who I believe has gone far and above to be above reproach in regards to this type of stuff. So it's, yeah, it can be very wearing. So because you are a person of faith, mm-hmm. um, how does that, whenever you're hearing someone throw out stuff at you and, and they're trying to poke, poke, poke and whatever, how does your faith inform you? And can you think of a specific incident in which you knew you had to either bite your tongue or say, you know what, that's a broken person that mm-hmm. Jesus loves and my heart needs to conform to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I try to make sure in any situation that I remember that this person is shaped by and loved by God, right? No matter how much hate they're going to throw at me or anything like that. Um, a example, the one that that kind of pops up a lot. So we get dispatched to a uh, house. Um, their father's not breathing. Father's 70s, maybe early 80s, one of them. Um, so when we get there, uh, one of my partners is talking to a female there, and she's just yelling at her. She's super upset. Uh, fires working dad. Um, there's another daughter. The daughters are 40s. Um, another daughter. Um, as they're yelling, they're going back and forth. This is also, by the way, they're a, uh, African-American family, black family. Um, and so one of them says to the other one, cause she's upset because the, my, my partner's doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is we try to get, we have to start getting all medical information and all of this because we have to get a doctor. We have to try and figure out what's, what's going on medically so we can re- mm-hmm. give that. Well, a lot of times we get caught in the work mode that we're forgetting that they're somebody they love is on the ground type of thing. Right. So as we're going through that, doesn't want to talk to that officer. Sergeant steps in. They say they'll talk to me. Um, not that I was doing necessarily anything better or that my, or the other officer was doing anything wrong. Well, in that conversation, one of the sister yelled at the other sister, why are you yelling when you should be praying? Hmm. Right. So that hit, I said, okay. And so I go over to her and I go, hey, um, do you mind right now while all of this is going? Do you mind if I pray for you and pray with you? And she goes, please. And so she's in a wheelchair. So I get down on my knees with her in the middle of this fires working over there and start praying, having conversation, talking to God, asking for him to heal all of that. I get done with that. I go talk to the other sister. Hey, I apologize. I know what's going on. I know this is tough. This is why this is happening. This is what's going on. She goes, I know I'm just, I'm so upset. But I go really quickly before we do anything more. Can I pray with you? She starts to tear up. She goes, please. So I pray with her. Um, Dad eventually gets transported to the hospital. He passes away. Um, And we go later and uh, I go and I find them in a room and I go, I just want to apologize so sorry for your loss. And they're like, no, they're like, we're, we're, we're very thankful. And the, the one uh, sister that was very upset when we first got there turned, she goes, could you go tell that other officer? I'm sorry. I said, yeah, I can do that. She goes, I just, and I go, look, I understood what was happening in that moment. You understood what was happening in that moment. It's not personal. And so it's that time of not letting them, I, I know they're not mad at me. I know they're not mad at her. They're mad at the fact that they know deep down in that moment that they're losing their father. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was paying attention to that and then hearing that 
little nugget of why aren't you praying? And so it's like, all right, I have a decision right now. Do I just, do I stay police officer or do I take that step out and for right now go, I'm, I'm a man of God, I'm a man of faith, and I'm going to ask if I can be a part of that right now. And so I think in those moments, it's, it's making sure that my faith is not something that I put in my locker when I put my uniform on. Like it's who I am and knowing that it's there in every call and everything that I'm dealing with. And you feel the freedom to do that. Or yeah. do you feel like, uh, you know, my faith has to be something super com- compartmentalized? Well, and, you know. well, let's put it, for example, I'll, I, I wear a body camera, right? Um, I have to have that activated. Um, there's times that it gets turned off, turned on, all of that. That's a whole nother conversation. But um, there are times when I'll look at somebody and be like, hey, really quickly, uh, this does not represent uh, my police department. This is just me talking right now. Do you mind if, or I would mm-hmm. recommend that, or we'll be dealing with people that are in addiction or people that are suicidal or mm-hmm. something like that and be like, hey, do you have this? Or if I happen to see a cross on the wall or if I happen to see this, it's like, hey, have you? do you have a community? Do you have a church? Do you have something nearby? You know, is it AA? Is it Celebrate Recovery? Is it some sort of community? Because I, I believe as, as, as a Christian, mm-hmm. we are not meant to do life alone in no way, shape, or form. That's not what we were supposed to do, you know? And so I always push people towards that. And I will, if I can, I'm, I'm going to throw faith in there because I think it is the answer. It's, that's what's going to change everything in these people's lives. Amen. Yeah. So would you say being a Jesus follower has made it easier or harder for you to be a police officer? I think easier. Um, but to be fair, I, I would argue that I took some of that from ministry. And I was lucky enough for that. I, I'll tell you this. I've had conversations with people and said, a lot of times I don't know how somebody b- doesn't believe in God and does this job. Um, did I get it? No, you're oh, close. Dang, so right. close. Um, no, but I, I, I don't get the, the fact that I know all of the bad things that I see there is not the end. It is mm-hmm. not the end game that there is redemption, that there is something bigger outside of that. That helps me to understand that. Um, and so for me, I, I think it helps. And it allows me to understand that there is something more to this. But like I said, from ministry, I was told very early on, because as you know, you're talking with people that are going through really, really bad times. Their burden is not your burden. And that helped me of knowing to be empathetic, to be sympathetic, to love on that person, but to know you can't take their burden home with you all the time. It'll Mm -hmm. tear us up, Mm -hmm. whether it's in ministry or in law enforcement. If If I take all of that home all the time, I mean, look at the issues with alcoholism as within the law enforcement community and within the church at time with people that are up there and, and what they're struggling with. And it's because they're, they're not transferring. They're taking that mm-hmm. burden home. They're living with that burden. And I think when you make sure to separate and take that, I think being a Christian and knowing that the end all be all is not what I did during a shift. It's more than that. How do you describe compassion fatigue and how do you combat it? Yeah. Trying to think of how to explain that. It's, I mean, there are days when like, it's hard to care. It's especially in in the grand scheme of things. Um, You get worn out. You get very tired. Um, Depending on what role you're in, in law enforcement. I mean, I'm a patrol officer. I'm a field training officer is, is, technically what I do. So I train new officers as they come out of the academy um, and kind of teach them how we do it and mm-hmm. make sure that they're safe before they get moved on and they're on their own. Um, but imagine being, you know, a sex crimes detective 
and having to see that type of trauma all the time. Um, imagine being a computer crimes detective and having to see illicit images. Um, imagine being a family crimes detective and dealing with either a um, infant mortality or dealing with um, strangulation cases. That, that's that tears you up. Um, and so I think that is why, for me, it's making sure it's that not taking that burden home, praying about it. Um, I <clears throat> I don't pray as much as I want to. Um, and I don't think anybody does, but um, trying to pray for people um, and pray through calls, after calls, those types of things, um, helps me to to have that that view to still be compassionate. Um, but in all honesty, there are days when it's hard to care, and it I, I wish that there wasn't. But when you get beat up over and over and over and you're super tired and you've had to work 14-hour shifts because people aren't there and we're low on staffing and you're tired and sometimes it is hard to care. What you're talking about lends itself to being cynical, right? Yeah. How do you protect your heart, yourself, from not being cynical? Mm. Because it seems like the longer you proceed in this career path, I would think the harder that battle would legitimately be. I don't know. I'm still learning it, to be honest. I'm five years in. I'm in that that area where a lot of people get burnt out. Um, after last year, um, between COVID, uh, between some other stuff that I was involved in at work, um, just some really tough calls, put it that way. Um, and uh, I had, me and one other person had the most amount of time with tra- with trainees in our car. Mm-hmm. Like, I was worn out beginning of this year like i was as cynical as as could be i was tired um and i think one of the things that helped me and it was just being honest about it and knowing i'm i'm not in a good place right now and i gotta take i have to be aware of it um i think it comes down to look we're all going to be cynical sooner or later it happens sometimes and it doesn't mean it's you're always going to be that, but there's going to be calls and there's going to be times where it's going to happen, you know? Um, like, there are addresses. I don't need the direction and I do not need the street. Just give me the numbers and I know exactly where I'm going, right? If I were to tell any officer, 1175, they know exactly where. If I tell them 875, if I tell them 598, if I tell them 505, they know where. They, they know where they're going. And especially then you go into... Hey, we're going to 505 number 41 Ugh, again, or we're going to 555 72, right? We deal with that same thing. So how do you guard against it? You can't fully, you just try to take that deep breath and take a step back. And un- for me as a Christian, knowing this person who gives me grief over and over and makes my job hard and I don't want to be here is loved by Jesus. And deserves love and doing the best. And there are times that I fail. And whether I'm a police officer as a person, I'm going to fail. That's the beauty and that's 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 the entire purpose of grace in Christianity is that we will not do enough to be perfect in this life. Somebody else did it for us. Preach. So there are going to be calls when I mess up, when I'm upset, when I use foul language, when all this, all you name it, right? But it's being aware of it and being aware of your team paying attention to the other people on your team. Are they tired? Are they mm-hmm. cynical right now? Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, me and my wife went through a really, really tough time and I had had a sergeant pull me over and he's like, Hey man, how many traffic stops have you done this month? 
like, ah, I mean, you know, maybe this. And he's like, three. I was like, yeah. And he's like, go to the top of a parking garage and hide until your mind is okay. And if you need to go home, then you need to go home. I said, okay. And he goes, you need to be here. I said, all right. And it was him being aware. That was leadership on his part of knowing Kyle's not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it took that time. And so it's being aware of your team, being aware of who you are. But for me, it just comes down to my identity is in Christ. And so, yeah, I might be upset on this call, but this, I'm, I'm do not be so upset. So cynical that I miss my opportunity to show them Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do. Well, sorry, I got long winded answers, man. I'm a talker. I apologize. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a good friend who is a, a firefighter. Mm-hmm. God bless his soul. Yeah. Have you ever thought of, have you ever thought, man, should I have been a firefighter instead? Because I've always heard firefighters show up and they're the good guys. Cops show up and here's all the crud that's happening now. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of times where we joke like, man, I took the wrong test. But when I see what they have to do, we have that conversation on calls all the time. We're dealing with somebody, they're, they're working the person, they're aspirating, there's this stuff coming out, there's blood, all of that. And we're like, well, and they're like, well, this is easy. And then we're dealing with a drunk that's yelling at us and cussing us and not wearing clothes in the middle of the street. And we've got to deal with that person. They're like, man, you guys are lucky. It's like, I'd rather do this than deal with the gross stuff. No, we have that conversation all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. So this friend of mine, he's a captain. And uh, he talked about that there's, a, you know, the frequent flyers. Mm-hmm. Those people who you always have to, and like you talked about, there's certain numbers, you can, addresses you can throw out. People know exactly yep. what's going down. He talked about the role of wanting to set the tone at a scene because he realizes as a believer, when he shows up, he can provide dignity mm-hmm. to somebody and set the tone that the other responders will follow, or at least won't be as cynical, maybe as openly. He said this, um, frequent flyer, she had fallen down, busted her head open. Mm-hmm. She was drunk, practically passed out. Right. And so one of the people that responded, bandaged her up and kept bandaging her up mm-hmm. and made it look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put her on the gurney, put her into the back of the ambulance and the, the guy that I know got into the back of the ambulance and sat back there with her and they start riding. And he, he said, she looked at him with stone cold sobriety mm-hmm. and said, how dare you judge me? How dare you judge me? Has there been a time where your interaction with somebody that the Holy Spirit checked it in you and you thought back on it? You're like, wow, I perceived a situation one way, but my faith corrected me in another. Or even the, even the thought of what my friend said about being the first one on the scene to set the tone for other people. Well, I can tell you right now, I learned that from firefighters. They, they're the best at that. You show up, um, horrible accident. Somebody's really hurt, right? People are freaking out around you. And the ones that are walking in are the most calm is always firefighters. And they're very good at knowing um, if they are amped up, everybody else is amped up. Now, you can only make somebody so calm with adrenaline pumping and, and something bad happening, right? But if you set the tone, then yeah, it it matters. There's a caricature of police officers that rightly or wrongly 
sometimes show that it's the super powerful, condescending, arrogant mm-hmm. person, right? That can be in any industry, any field, any, 100%. anything, right? 100%. Although police officers have a unique power, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't have the power. I have the ability to take your constitutional rights away. Well, that is given, given, (laughs) given the situation. That's big. That's a lot of responsibility. Put that way. Yes. That sounds incredibly big when you can take, you can imprison me as a training officer. I always tell people, look, I'm going to let you do your job and I'm going to watch you. If you're going to harm somebody or you're going to violate the rights, I'm stepping in because you have a lot of people that they're still learning. They're still trying to figure that out. What does that look like? And so I have to, I have to come in and that's, that is the responsibility that we have. Well, you in effect are discipling people. Yeah. And that's, that's why I like being a training officer. So let me ask you this question. What role does humility play in good policing? Mm. Um, If you are not willing to learn anymore and if you are not learning as an officer, you should not do the job anymore. That's been huge for us. Well, with that, not getting into any particulars because good grief, this is, mm. this is a rabbit hole that never ends. There are some people who act like nothing should ever be changed in policing, that there should be no reforms, that the use of the word reform is tantamount to horrible. Then there's people on the other side that would say, policing, we don't need policing or it needs to be whatever. So for you, the role of humility would say there always can be improvements made somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to let that question go. Um, that's, like I said, that's a rabbit hole. There's, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot that goes down with that. Um, so if you were to inform believers on a couple of ways that they can pray for not just officers, but officers' family. And not just in generalities, right? What specifically would you say really pray in this area for an officer, pray for an, for an officer's wife in this area? What would be a couple of things that you could throw out? Mm. I mean, just praying that they come home. I mean, that's hands down. That's, that's the most important one, but I think praying for them, it's hard for family because as much as they understand why we do what we do they don't understand why we do what we do does that make sense um i think just praying for them to be able to know like it needs to be a safe spot for that officer to come home to pray for the families to be willing to give the officer space this has to be the number one place where that officer can come home and know that they are safe and that they don't need to be a cop and that they can tell whatever now that changes between family to family so for an officer's friends that aren't family what are a few things that you would say hey in the life of an officer you're his friend here are some things to consider Um, uh, ways to be the best type of friend possible yeah um i think sometimes one of the biggest things if you look at job right all this horrible stuff has happened around him um, and it basically said like his friends sat in the dust with him. I think sometimes that's what it is. Um, quit asking, Hey, what's the craziest call you've ever been on that can bug us. It, we know you just want to know the, the, the cool thing, but I don't think you really want to know the craziest call that I've been on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Understanding like, Hey, if it's Sunday 
when I worked Wednesday through Saturday, I just want to watch the Cardinals. I, maybe I just don't want to talk about police stuff right now. Because when I'm at work, I, I talk about police stuff. And a lot of times I hang out with other cops and we inevitably end up talking about police stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe just ask me about football. Just ask me about life for this movie or my kids. Just give us that space. Like, respect the margin, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good word. You are wearing a bracelet mm. today. Yeah. Could you explain that bracelet to us? So this is for Officer Chris Farrar. Um, he passed away about three weeks ago. Sorry, I'm getting a little teary-eyed. Um, so we had just a, it's just to remember who Chris is. Um, it's got his badge number under it, which is 528. It's got a canine kind of flag on it. He was one of our canine officers recently. Um and so we were involved in a call. I was personally involved in a call where uh, Chris ended up losing his life. Um, just a crazy, easily the the most, you know, what's the craziest call you've been on is that. Um, and it was chaotic and it was hectic. And, you know, I've got some survivor's guilt that I'm dealing with from that. Um but there's also been, for the lack of a better way to put it, positive that's come from it because of who Chris was and what his life was, um, an absolute story of redemption. Um, loved Jesus. Um, helped out with a thing, a uh, organization called Under the Shield, um, which is basically free counseling to officers. He helped and served in, in that capacity. Um, and so just a lot of seeing his life and the impact it made is kind of got to me and and made me start to open up my eyes to some stuff so if you were to this doesn't even seem like a fair question if you were to distill down his relationship with you his essence how has he how has his life his service his love for jesus how has that impacted and shaped you yeah i mean there was definitely people that were closer with chris i mean he served for 18 years so 13 years before i ever showed up at the department he'd Mm -hmm. been he'd been there um, we were on sister team, so I was on team three. He was on team four. Um, and he just had this ability to find newer, younger officers and just kind of seek them out. Um, so for me, it was just kind of some mentorship, um, talking life, learning about each other. And then eventually he had found out that I was in ministry. And he had he was new in his faith. And he, there was just this excitement of, Hey man, like I, I found this book and this it's, I'm learning this or Hey, I listened to this sermon. And so we had really, really good conversations. And so the thing that I think one, as an officer, he made me a better officer. Um, Chris, you know, if you talk about, you know, compassion and that, you know, how do you get tired of, of being compassionate? I don't think that happened with Chris. I don't think it was possible. He was, he's great. You should see the, the amount of videos and conversations and, you know, just people that reached out that were impacted by Chris in our community. He was a phenomenal officer with that. He always had a smile. I I made the point of uh, one of those things I learned in, in, in ministry and in, in speaking was people can hear you smile. Um, You could hear Chris smile just in the way that he spoke and all of that. He was a phenomenal officer. Um, And even though he was older and I know he'd had a faith when he was growing up, but he really figured it out the last couple of years just the passion that he had for it 
and how tangible his faith was in his life and how important it was. Um, and just this excitement and this willingness to serve. I mean, his, his memorial, they did a prayer vigil the night before, and then they did a memorial. It was about Jesus. And so for me, it just kind of hit me of what am I doing? Not just as an officer, but as a man in every aspect of my life. When people look at me, is it like Paul? Follow me as I follow Christ. If you follow me and you look at my life, you will see Jesus. Am I doing that? Is that what it looks like in my job? And I know that I fail. I know that I'm upset at work at sometimes. I know that I have bad days. I know that I'm, there's times where I'm a jerk as a husband or as a father. Or what, I'm going to fail, but am I willing and am I humble enough to say like, I'm broken? I know that I'm broken. And I know that Jesus is the one that's going to be, he's, he's the answer that fixes all of that. And so when I looked at Chris, it was the redemption in his life and the humility and just that passion for Jesus that hmm. it just, like he reeked of Jesus. I don't know how else to put it. Like when you're around him, you couldn't not know that that's what he was about. John 15, 12, and 13 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And the reality is, is Chris did that. The reality is, is you're willing to do that. And a grateful community says thank you. And even in ungrateful parts of communities, if they understood the truth of it, would say thank you. Uh, Kyle, I love you, bro. I mean that. I love what you do. I love your heart. I love the journey that God has brought you on. Unexpected journey in different ways that you Very. wouldn't have tracked out. But that's the journey he's put you on. And uh, we say thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk and just kind of share my heart. And if anybody out there, if they have questions, if they want to know, if they want to sit down, you have my information. You're more than willing if they ever want to sit down and have a conversation. Also, if you're in the community and you're wondering, I know there's some restrictions with COVID stuff right now, but go on a ride along. Go meet a cop. Absolutely. Sit down with them. See what our job looks like. Just give us an opportunity. Let us show you who we are um, because we do care about you. Um, we do want to make stuff better. That's that's genuinely a, the heart of officers. And so we're thankful. And just be praying for the community. Be praying for the officers because they need it. They need Jesus. I do want to go back to the question of maybe which is better, Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts? Oh, I mean, I'd take Dunkin'. You'd take Dunkin'? Yeah, I'd take Dunkin'. All right. You can take I'm not going to act like I'm not going to eat a donut right now. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to grip one with some sprinkles on here. Like, so this is the pro move right there. That is a pro move. It's a pro move. I love it. <laughs>